As William said earlier, uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians this morning. Um, Galatians. So if you have a Bible in front of you, that would be great, uh, as we're going to read from Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. Let's hear God speak to us. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born according as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman representing two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands at Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh was persecuted, the son born under the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but the free woman. This is the word of God. Amen. Um, as we come to this point in the series, we can see that Galatians talking a lot about freedom. And to illustrate that, Paul tells a story. He tells a story about two women in particular. And the point of this story is to give a basis for this freedom in some way. And the first thing we see that Paul has going on here is he has a slavery, a story of a woman who's in slavery and a, woman, a story of a woman who is, has freedom. We're all very familiar with stories. We are shaped by stories in so many different ways, especially in Northern Ireland. We know all sorts of ways that stories about the past and, and stories about where we've come from and stories about what we might want to happen in the future shape and change how we act and live. You know, every year we have celebrations of certain stories within our culture. We might celebrate Christmas with the story of Jesus being born. We might celebrate Easter with the story of the resurrection. We might all have moments in our lives where we maybe have special dates that we mark to celebrate a story of something that went to happen. We maybe celebrate our anniversary and the story of how we met. We maybe celebrate our children's birthdays and the stories of how we have seen them grow up and seen them move from strength to strength. But we also see how stories can impact us in a different way. Because as Paul's highlighting here, there's a story that goes so far back in time that it is stitched into the religious landscape of Galatia. And it's a story of two women, one called Hagar and another woman called Sarai. And it goes all the way back to the very beginnings of God working with people in the Bible. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. 
And Paul is telling this story from Genesis to try and get the people in Galatia to begin to see where they fit in that big picture story of the Bible. Because what they think is going on is that they have encountered these people who are Jewish Christians, who are trying to get them to observe the religious law, who are trying to get them to go back to the way things were in the Old Testament. And what they're trying to say is, this is where you fit in the big story. You fit in as being the true continuation of these people in the Old Old Testament only if you follow the same rules and laws and rituals and religion as they did. It's only if you follow all the laws and the rules like we are that you're really a child of Isaac, you're really a child of Israel, you're really a child of Abraham, and you're really a child of God. And Paul wants to question that story. And the way Paul questions that is that he he deep dives into that story of Hagar and Isaac to try and show how there are two strands coming out. And rather than the story of the Bible being, if you follow the rituals and the commands and the law, that you get all the good stuff in the end, like they think, rather that is the religion of Hagar. And really the religion that we want to be in and the story we want to be in is the story of God graciously giving us things that we don't deserve. And that's the story we see being worked out. Well, if we look at verses 21 to 23, it says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. So what's that getting at? We're maybe not very familiar with the story of Abraham. The story that Paul begins to tell is the story of Abraham, the founder of the Jewish faith. And Abraham was a moon worshiper in ancient Mesopotamia. And God in his grace calls Abraham out of the area where he's living and out of his moon worship. And he makes a very sure promise. He makes a threefold promise to Abraham. He says back in Genesis 12, verse one, he says, go from your father's house to the land I will show you. So he promises him land. In verse two, he gives him a promise of descendants when he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And then in Genesis 12, verse three, he promises a continual relationship with Abraham, that he will be his God and Abraham will be his people. When he says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And the story of the Old Testament is consists of those three promises being fulfilled. The story of Abraham getting the land, the story of Abraham getting the descendants, and the story of Abraham getting a relationship with God. And as we work through the story of Abraham's life, we begin to see that things don't quite pan out as they were expected. By the time you get to chapter 16, uh, we read that Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Now, how was God's promise going to be fulfilled? Because at this stage, by the time he gets to Genesis 16, where Paul begins talking about here, in Genesis 16, Abraham's entered into the land that God had promised him. He's begun to have a relationship and and begun to have a continual ongoing commitment with the God who, who has called him out. 
It seems as if he has got the two big things of this three-part promise. And in the wise words of meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. And so he begins to think, how am I going to get this last bit of the promise? Because I've got the land, I've got the God, but I don't have any I don't have any kids and I don't have a child to pass it on to. I don't have the descendants that I was promised by God. And he looks at his wife, and Sarah around this, Sarah in around this age is about 75 years old. And he thinks, how, how is she ever going to bore me any children? How will the promise that God's given me ever come to fruition? And so they come up with their own solution because Sarai texts her slave woman, Hagar, and says, have a child with her instead. This is maybe the way that God wants it to be fulfilled. We, we can be tempted to think that that was a, a, a logical thing to do, and we can be tempted to think that that was maybe a wise thing to do because, well, you know, it would still technically be Abraham's child. It would still technically be belong to their house. It would be technically the sort of descendant that God had promised. But here's the thing. All the promises up until this stage have been fulfilled by the grace of God. Abraham had been brought into the land where he was by the grace of God. God had spoken to him, not because he had earned it, not because he did anything to deserve it, but because our God is a gracious God. And now at this third and final part of the promise, for some reason, Abraham and Sarai think that the game has changed. They think that, well, yes, God's gracious and he will give us things. But to get that last little bit, we need to earn it and we need to do something for ourselves. And that's why Paul begins to talk about them having a child of the flesh versus a child of the promise. Because as Sarah or Sarai offers up Hagar, what they're trying to do is to fulfill God's promise, not in the way that he said he would do it, but with their own hands and without any reference to him. And ultimately what that means is that they have a view of God that is a God who will promise so much and will deliver a bit but we'll leave the last little bit up to you. And so, as we see the story pans out, Hagar has a son called Ishmael, and God tells them that, that this wasn't his plan. And Ishmael and Hagar are banished into the wilderness. And instead, Abraham ends up having a son called Isaac. Isaac, that means laughter, because whenever Sarah heard, or Sarai heard that she would have a child, she laughed. She didn't think it could ever happen. And yet, even whenever she is ancient in years and full of days, God in his mercy fulfilled the promise whenever they didn't think it could ever be fulfilled. And Paul is trying to say, that's the true gift and that's the true promise. The real story of the Bible is one where we see God acting in grace rather than seeing a God who will promise a lot and only deliver so much and make us work for that last little bit. And 
this is where we maybe begin to see how this can be a story of slavery that's being gotten at here. Because how we think about God can either be a blessing or it can be a curse. Do you view God as somebody who graciously gifts or a tyrant of a taskmaster who's waiting for you to slip up? Because if we take the approach that Sarai did by offering up Hagar to fulfill the promise of God, we have a God who isn't gracious, but a God who's leaving us to do all the work. And if you look down at verses 24 to 25, we'll have a read and see what it says. Paul begins to talk about how we're meant to understand that story from Genesis 16. He says that these things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents the woman, the two women represent the two covenants respectively. The woman, the woman I've stumbled over myself, apologies. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant from Mount Sinai that bears the children of those who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands at Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. What Paul's trying to get at there is that the way the Galatians have begun to understand the faith is ultimately the same way that they thought Hagar could fulfill the promises. God will show you a bit of grace, but that's little bit on the end that you need to work up. And the Galatians have begun to think that the way you make up for that little bit on the end is that you follow the law and you follow the old rituals of the Old Testament and that brings you up to be in full line with it. And what Paul is trying to show here is that that is not the religion of the promise, but that is the religion of slavery. And he uses Hagar to represent that for a few, for a few reasons. Firstly, Hagar's descendants, the Ishmaelites, would live in around Mount Sinai. And Hagar, as a slave woman, could only ever have children who would be born into slavery in the ancient world. You know, we could make a comment here about um, how wrong that was as a societal thing at the time, but it's important to see that in the ancient world, if you were born of a slave, you were always destined to be a slave. And if there's one thing that the good news that God offers, it isn't slavery. And Hagar's name means to wander, to wander, never arriving. And in some ways, that's what it means to be in this slavery of thinking. We have to earn something from God. We wander and we try and we push, but it's never enough. And so Paul says to the Galatians, you are in slavery if you think that you have to try and observe all these rituals and laws and keep topping yourself up to somehow correspond to get the blessing of God. It's not that God shows us a little bit of grace and we need to top it up. It's grace the whole way through. I wonder what your view of God is. And I wonder how you think about God's uh, dealings and blessings of you. Do you have a view of God that says that he's only gonna do good things for you if you're good? Do you have a view of God that says that he looks after nice people 
And bad people are the ones who get his, his judgment. Do we have a God who is generally nice to everybody, but then if you really want to earn his favor, you need to do that last little bit of work to get yourself over the line? I remember a few years ago, I was on a train from Inverness to um, Aberdeen. And uh, on one of the stops, it was quite a crowded train, a couple of guys sat down beside me and um, they were heading to Aberdeen for a night out. And we began chatting. I was going to meet up with a friend there. They were going just to have a night's partying. But they began asking me about what I was and what I was studying and what I did. And I said that I was training to be a minister. And they looked at me really, really funny. And they said, is that not a lot of pressure? I was like, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, believing all that Christian stuff, is that not a lot of pressure? You know, because you have to make sure that you've done, you've, you're good enough before you get into heaven. You know, you have to make sure that you've done everything right or else you don't go to heaven. Like, how is that not a lot of pressure? And these two guys had grasped the gospel wrong entirely. They thought that they had to work really hard to try and earn something from God. They had a God who was a slave master and not a God who was gracious and generous king. And so I got to tell them, you know, well, that's not what we believe. What we believe is that God forgives us even though we're like this. And it's only by his grace because Jesus has done it all for us. And I remember one of them saying, Jesus sounds like a swell guy. Um, which I think is a good takeaway from the conversation. How are you viewing God? Are you viewing him as somebody who is trying to make sure that you tick all the right boxes and that you top up from the bit of grace that he's shown you? Or do you worship a God that's ultimately a God of freedom? This is what we see in verses 28 to 31. So if you look down, it says, now you, brothers and sisters, and we could be the brothers and sisters in this text. It says, now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. At the time the son was born according to the flesh, was persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but children of the free woman. As Christians, we don't believe that you work hard to get your toe over the line into heaven. We believe that God is gracious in and of himself. One of the wonderful things we believe about God is that he is good and he is good in a way that none of us are good. Because our goodness has a limit and our goodness has an end. But our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is good in a way that is eternal bliss, a blessedness and a goodness and a loveliness that outpours and outflows from an infinite well. So that our God blesses and gives grace freely to those who trust and believe in him because he's good and good in a way that we aren't. I often think if we were to come up with a religion for ourselves, what would it look like? If you were to come up with a God, what would he be? 
Maybe you'd have a God who showed preference to you or a God who made sure that everybody towed the line, a God who made sure that everybody indicated before they made a right turn, a God who made sure that if people didn't observe all the right laws that they were gonna get their comeuppance. That's not the God we read off in the Bible. The God we read off in the Bible is one who says that the only way you can save your life is to lose it for my sake. We believe in a God who shows grace upon grace upon grace. And that all the things that we think might give us freedom will ultimately lead us to death. But it's him and trusting in this promise that gives us true freedom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus, for the wonderful gift of his promise. And we pray that we would trust that we are free, not because of something we have done, but because of the blessings of your son given to us. For it's in his name we pray, amen.